Hey guys, this is Randy Zellia from BackSportsPage.com, and you're listening to the Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast's Best of 2021, starting right now. Welcome to another edition of the Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Zellia from BackSportsPage.com, wishing you a very happy new year. And this week's episode is the second half of the best of 2021, pretty much since we made the transition away from the two-man host booth to the single host. And uh, I hope you guys really enjoy it. We have some clips from Vince Russo, Primal Fear, Devon Dudley, O'Shea Edwards, Man, Mike Law, we just have so much we're trying to jam in here uh, for the second half of the year. Kid Cash, so much going on here. I hope you guys enjoy it. Follow us on all of our podcast platforms as well as on YouTube, the Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast. Give us a subscribe and a review. Tell us that you like what we're doing or tell us you don't like what we're doing. And, of course, we're all over social media at the Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast. I think you've heard me ramble on long enough. Thank you for making our 2021 a very exciting and eventful. Special thank you to Andrew Fumi, who's our producer, and the rest of our great staff. Again, enough of me rambling on. Here is the best of 2021 here on the Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast, courtesy of BackSportsPage.com. Yeah, we we can definitely we can definitely work that out. Uh, one or two more wrestling questions. If you wanted to tell fans who who have not seen or heard from your work at all. What do you recommend to watch so they can get a good idea about who, uh, True Primal Fear is? Um, uh, I'll say if we're, if we're telling them what to watch, I'll say go to YouTube, man. Go to Ring of Honor's YouTube uh, page. And there we have uh, like probably four or five matches on their page. Yeah, on a lot I mean, of their I... uh, week by weeks. We've had uh, our first our Ring of Honor debut on week by week was against Mexi Squad. Uh, the trio of Bandito, Flamita, Ray Horace. Uh, I think the following week by week, uh, we went up against uh, the uh, some of the dojo uh, students there and Will Ferrer, the coach. That was a fun match. Our best performance. Right there. I think our strongest match, though, man, has got to be for the six-man titles. I mean, if you're trying to yeah, tell someone sure. one match, uh, we had a Shane Taylor promotion for the six-man titles on, uh, man, I wish I knew the TV episode. But, I think it's I mean, episode I think that's our strongest uh, showing, man. We really if you, we came out. Just go to ringofhonor.com and all their TV episodes are free. Anyone can watch for free. Uh, episode 504. There, you go. Uh, there was three matches on that episode. We were the middle match. Primal Fear versus Shane Taylor promotions for the Ring of Honor World Six-Man titles. And last question. If you guys were having a triple threat, who's who's going over? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Uh-oh. <laughs> Gabe, I think this is the part where I, you, you don't like them, right? Yeah, this, this, is the part, this is the part where you yeah, get me now. I didn't like that question. <laughs> I'm not a good – my singles career is uh, – I don't got a good record, so I'm out. I'm like 1-18 in, in singles matches. If it's a baby face, it's Manny. If it's heel, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the beard. <laughs> and, because and, of the beard. And I, I guess I'm the special guest referee on that one. I, I, I guess, I'll, <laughs> oh, I'll, no, I'll, that – 
I'm down for that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm down for that. Cool. <laughs> I get double choke slam through the table and I'm out. Yep, that's my spot. First, first three minutes of the match, right? Yeah. It's, it's over. That's what I'm there after, for. The and then after the match, we we set our differences, and then we turn on on the guy who made all this uh, happen. Yep. Yeah. We turn the we ref. Turn on the ref. Oh. <laughs> oh me! Oh crap! Okay. Um. Something I really wanted to impart to all my trainees was how important it is for us when we go out to not be that stereotypical ugly American that. People in other countries, they have stereotypes of us. In the same way, right, Americans, we believe certain stereotypes about people from other countries. People from over here, they're going to be, they're like this. They're, the French are rude, right? Like we've all heard this. The French are rude. We do have these weird stereotypes that we're grown up with, and they believe a lot of that about us, right? They think all Americans are fat, lazy, and we love our guns. And sometimes you got to go over there and just kind of show them like, hey, I'm just a person like you. I'm just a, I'm just a normal person. I'm not this stereotype. And you got to handle yourself with some class and dignity when you travel. And I just want to apologize now. If I, I did fit some of those characteristics up until the gunpoint. So <laughs> I like to apologize. I like to apologize to the American public. <laughs> I'm the face of America. Sorry, America. <laughs> and all of our French listeners today, I'm very sorry. We believe yeah. you to be rude. Yes, I, I like to apologize across the across the world. <laughs> Red Heart, you were right. Okay, mm-hmm. that's all yeah. we're gonna say. Uh, <laughs> And it's funny too, you speak so highly of Ring of Honor. And then what was it like for you that, okay, so you were really close with Ring of Honor and then you go to Impact and now you're on television. What did you learn in those first couple Impact tapings that you didn't know? Because wrestling for TV and then wrestling at live events and indie shows are different, different worlds a little bit, you know? It, it is a different world. And I say this about indie wrestlers and, and, and I'm not hard. I don't want this to come across like I'm dogging indie wrestling because I still wrestle in the indies and stuff like that. There are a ton of guys that are great indie wrestlers. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but there are a ton of guys that are great indie wrestlers, but that are not ready for TV. I would see people come in and do like explosion matches or BTI matches and they are lost in the ring. It's a totally different aura when you are doing TV. And that's the difference between a guy that can wrestle in front of like a few hundred people or thousands of people and get that really good indie buzz and then come and have no clue how to de- how to be a TV star. Be a TV star. This is what I always tell guys. I was like, you can you can do a sequence and you can do it half assed and people will like, oh my God, these guys are the greatest wrestler of all time. But then you go to TV and there's a larger audience. You can't do stuff half-assed. You have to be on point. You have to be crisp because that's the next level. If you wrestle for that next level, Russell will be a TV star, look like a TV star. That's what I try to be. I don't try to be a top indie guy, and I don't think that really gets over. It doesn't get over on the indies. You know what I mean? My style of professional wrestling is guys that are indie wrestlers who have way more followers than me. They probably make more money than me on the indies than I do. However, when it comes to TV, I'm going to blow you out of the water. Yeah. Because I, and, and and that's how I wrestle. That's how I, I want to be. I want to be an attraction. And I learned before my first stuff at Impact, even in Ring of Honor, I knew you have to hit hard cam, find the roaming cam, and that's what I was made for. I was made for TV. I was made to find the camera, make love to the camera, baby, and uh, cut the promos and be a be a personality. That's what I was made for because that's what I grew up on. 
And, uh, and so that's what, it, when I went to Impact and Ring of Honor for the first time and I knew I had to find the camera, I already knew that in my mind. So there's times when I hit a move, work to the hard cam. I hit, I hit a move and I want to show my face. Don't pander to the crowd too long, find the camera because sure there's thousands of people here, but there's millions watching at home. And that's where the money is, the millions watching at home. There's the difference. So I knew that going in and I, and I psyched myself up and I studied that. So when I actually did it, that's what I was, that's what I was looking for and working for. Now it comes second nature, have those facials, have those reactions, be a personality, be a TV star. That's what I want to do. And that's some of my advice to all the indie guys out there that are trying to make it on TV, tweak your style up. You can still do all the cool stuff that are going to get those fans that, you know, that are just marks for it. But also, you want to get to that next level. How are you going to be a TV star? How are you going to be different from everybody else that's already on TV doing what you do? That's my advice to guys. Uh, that's that's a world of difference right there. I first of all, I'm a big fan of always uh, supporting your local indie uh, wrestling federations because I think it's a very big deal and an important part of the industry. Um, I would love to know from you as a professional uh, yourself, though, what would you say is the biggest uh, biggest difference and which do you prefer? Um, you know, uh, both have like their special place, you know, uh, uh, <clears throat> obviously with like the smaller indie crowds, sometimes it's a little bit more intimate and a little bit uh, more packed. Like last night, I just wrestled in like a uh, Elks Lodge, you know, so, <laughs> and they were, they were like... Uh, Packly, tightly packed in there, so it was um, it was uh, pretty cool, and they were very vocal. And sometimes mm. when you're working a bigger arena or something like that, you lose some of the sound, and it gets lost in the acoustics of the building. So when you're you know running a tight building like that, you know everybody's on top of each other, and you really hear everything going on. And also the cool part about doing indies too is. Um, you know, you get to uh, go out and, uh, you know, sell merchandise and that sort of thing and interact with the fans on a more personal level. And, you know, they get to take their photo with you and get stuff signed and all those sorts of things. And it really builds a, a, a good connection between the wrestlers and the fans. And they feel um, more uh, entitled to you you know like they're like hey you know like that's my guy you know i met him and he was so cool you know now i see him on tv and I i'm rooting for him you know right. so but you know at the same time uh when you're wrestling on tv um uh, it's probably going to be seen by a lot more people as well so even though ring of honor hasn't had any fans for their tv taping so far this year it's going out to tons and tons of people syndicated around the country on um on uh, you know different channels across the country, so hundreds of thousands of people are, are watching this. So you got to keep that in the back of your mind too. So just because there's no fans there, you don't want to like mail it in or anything because you know everybody's going to be watching on TV. So, uh, but you know it uh, it takes an extra little uh, little like uh, pep talk to yourself to really have to go out there and uh, give it your all when there's no fans in there. So. But, you know, I, I can't uh, lie. I enjoy, you know, uh, wrestling the smaller shows and, and wrestling TV as well because 
the doing the smaller shows too it, it reminds you where you came from and uh, it reminds you of um, that hunger and that desire and that passion that you know fueled you for so long to get where you are so you it keeps you humble you know what I mean like it, it keeps you wanting to perform at your best and uh, you know stay on TV and stay relevant obviously you've had a lot of life-changing uh, situations go on and you said you're you're you know there's nothing more important to you than being a dad being able to spend time how how is how difficult is it for a wrestler's life when we're on a normal schedule to be able to balance home life and balance the, the road uh you know i think for you know especially guys who work for like wwe i mean it's like for them it's probably been great the last year and a half you know because everything's being taped in uh orlando or tampa or wherever it is it's all basically where they live so uh, you know, they're probably really enjoying that, but typically they're gone a lot. And I think that's really hard. And I, that's, you know, a big, a big plus uh, for, you know, working for Ring of Honor. Our schedule isn't so heavy. So, and, and, you know, as well as other things like, you know, the company really takes care of the guys. They were doing like through these last, uh, how many ever handful of tapings since last August uh, have been really precautionary with, taking COVID tests uh, a week before you even leave and then getting in and having to quarantine and take a COVID test the next day and then take a COVID test the next day, all like quarantining. And then, uh, you know, only going to do tapings a couple people at a time in separate locker rooms and all that, you know, they really, they really looked out for the talent um, and everybody that was working the shows, the crew, everything. So, you know, having that, that schedule uh, and having a company that, kind of takes those extra steps and makes you want to you know makes you want to be at a place like that for i got i've been asking a lot of uh people we've interviewed this type of question for, especially with the pandemic what has the pandemic done for you as a wrestler that made it sort of change the way you present not only yourself but the way the company presents the product uh you know i think for how the company presents the product. I think it's really cool uh, that we're doing something different. We got those really big screens that are up close, so it doesn't feel like you're wrestling in just some empty empty arena. Um, they're not doing anything with like having faces on screens. I kind of like that they're doing something different. I think it's all made us uh, slow down a little bit, which is always good. You know, in wrestling, sometimes things can be a little too fast and the crowd doesn't get the chance to uh, absorb it and digest it and react to it, you know? Uh, so I think, I think that's been good. Um, I think it's made guys realize that they have to really find a character or define that character or evolve a character. Cause you know, a lot of wrestling uh, is kind of just guys with a first name and a last name and they're just really, really good wrestlers. But when you don't have this opportunity to showcase your your strong points or your your uh your talents uh, in the ring you gotta find a way to display that you know through social media videos or skits or whatever uh you're going to do um i know for myself uh you know for years i just wrestled as silas young i was just a guy with long hair and a beard i was a good wrestler you know people respected my work i guess um so then when i, I went to ring of honor in 2013 shortly before that i started dabbling with the last real man thing you know last real man is a uh like my father basically um he had he had slick back hair and a mustache my dad was a badass and uh it's just kind of like a nod to men of the past but my point is like 
uh, I realized that going into Ring of Honor, like all these guys here are really good wrestlers. I need to do something to stand out. So that's when I really kind of, you know, went into high gear on the last real man thing and really started embracing it more and more. So I think in the last year, it's made guys realize they need to develop more character or show the people who they are. Was it difficult for you not to have the fans in the arena? Yeah, I mean, I think it is for everybody. It sucks, man. Like, I think if one thing uh, guys will learn, it's how important fans are. I mean, it's not that we didn't know that, but just it's it's hard to get hype for a match and go out there and wrestle hard when you're getting no reaction, especially when you've been doing it for years and years and years, and you're so used to feeding off that crowd's energy, and you're so used to almost pacing your match to the crowd's energy as well. Ring of Honor superstar Mike Bennett. And Mike, I almost want to not say superstar anymore. I want to go back to what's supposed to be Ring of Honor pro wrestler. Let's say it together. Pro wrestler. Oh, it has such a better tone to it. Such a better. It just brings me happiness when I hear pro wrestler. Well, you know, you, you've, you've certainly um, had your share of, uh, of adjustment going back to pro wrestler over the last uh, year and a half, you know, going back to ring of honor where you had a, a quite a bit of success and, you know, but you're, you, uh, you, you seem a lot happier right now. Yeah, I am. It's uh it's one of those things where, um, you know, you chase a dream for so long and then you have tunnel vision about getting to that dream, getting to that dream. And for me, it was always WWE or bust. That's what I dreamed of. That's what I wanted to do. And I was fortunate enough that along that journey, I uh, I worked for Ring of Honor. I worked for New Japan. I worked for Impact. And along that journey, I discovered that the dream that I wanted wasn't what I thought I wanted. It was something entirely different. I wanted to be a pro wrestler. I want. I thought I wanted to be a sports entertainer. I did it and then went. Mm, no, this isn't for me. I like the sport of pro wrestling. Well, before we jump into the sport of pro wrestling, let's go give some people a little bit of background. If they don't know your full story, you grew up in Massachusetts. When did you really fall in love with the sport of professional wrestling? So I, um, I was always a fan. Um, and then I kind of fell out of love with wrestling, like around seven or eight years old. Like I was a Hulkamaniac, did all that crazy stuff, kind of fell out of love with it. And then around the attitude error, all my friends were watching. And so I had to tune in. So I tuned in and I fell in love with like Stone Cold and DX and Kane and Undertaker. Um, but then my dad actually took me to see uh, Monday Night Raw taping in Worcester, Massachusetts. And I was there when Mick Foley won the world title for the first time. Oh, you were in the building for that? Oh, my Lord. I was there. I was like six rows back. I fell. And from that point on, I was like, I'm going to be a pro wrestler. I'm absolutely going to be one. Told my dad and I've never looked back ever since. I think I was 12 at the time. Never looked back ever since. How, well, how did you... Uh go into your training like how did you approach a wrestling school did you like you know go we had somebody on who said they looked at pwi and they made a phone call and they spoke with them i think that was rory fox rory said he he found less less stature school and he got on the phone with them and he got the information how did you find your wrestling school so i went on and did like uh some sort of a search engine i mean it was like 2000 at the time 2001 when i started training so i was looking on online but it's not like what, what we have now where you can find yeah. mass amounts of things you know you have to be somewhat savvy but still understand and like so i was just looking up wrestling schools nonstop and in my area because i wasn't going to travel outside of massachusetts i was only 15 so i found a school that was willing to take me if my parents you know signed away saying I was allowed to 
Um, and I found a school in New Bedford, Massachusetts, who's called Yankee Pro Wrestling. It's now Top Row Pro Wrestling uh, or Top Row Promotion. Sorry. Um, and they started training me a little. But along that journey, uh, I wasn't even, I think, a year in training with them. Um, I met Bob Evans and he had a school. And so uh, I started training with Bob Evans. And that's when my training really started taking off. Bob started introducing me to the right people, started teaching me the right way. And so it, it was really Bob Evans who kind of gave me that kickstart in my career. And we're not talking about Bob Evans, the guy who owns the restaurants. We're talking about Bob, Bob Evans, Evans restaurants. The restaurants. No, brutal Bob Evans, the professional wrestler. Okay. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Well, just, well, I just wanted to make sure we're on the yeah. page. Uh, and what, what were some of the what are some of the things that he said to you that really stuck with you as far as you know, advice or uh, just the, the approach that he gave you? You know, so for the first, I don't want to say it was a year because it wasn't even a year, but for, for the sake of the story, it's the first year of my um, training at Yankee Pro. I was learning the stuff. I was learning how to to, to, to bump. I was learning how to hit the ropes, all that stuff. Um, I was learning different moves, but I wasn't learning why to do everything. I wasn't learning the story of a match. I wasn't learning the psychology of a match. I wasn't learning how to get the fans to interact the most with you during a match. Bob kind of took my raw ability, if you will. And he showed me what you do to, to really draw the fans in, why you do this, why you do that. Like kind of like the ABCs of professional wrestling is what Bob really taught me. What was it like for you when you, uh, walked into the ring for the first time just for the training. Was it what you expected it to be? You know, it's, um, I don't know who said this. Um, so I don't want to get it wrong, but I, I think it was Booker T. So I want to give him credit for it. He said when he stepped foot in the ring, it was a place that he had never been, but he felt like he had always been. And that's exactly how I felt when I first stepped in a ring, I had never been there, but it felt like home to me. It had felt like, yep. This is where you want to be. Um, and I picked it up pretty quickly. I picked up how to bump. I picked up how to run the ropes. You know, um, I, I, I picked it up pretty quickly. And I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that I was kind of watching Tough Enough at home and then taking bumps in my backyard on a ca cardboard box the way they were teaching <laughs> on Tough Enough. So maybe I had like a leg up in the game. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it just it always felt like home to me stepping in a ring. What memories do you have from your first match? Do you remember how nervous you were? Do you remember on how confident you were? Or basically, so take us back to that mind frame you had during your first match. Funny story about my first match. <laughs> I don't remember most of it because I was <laughs> completely unconscious. I was knocked out. The guy I was wrestling picked me up for a power bomb. I didn't know how to take it. I got halfway up and he dropped me right on my head. And I was, I, uh, I, I finished the match somehow, but, um, I don't remember it at all. I have little, little tiny, like portions of it that I have memories of, but it's all like this entire dream sequence. The, the only time I remember after that is waking up or I was conscious, but I came to in a hospital because my dad took me to my first show. And then when I got into the car for him to drive me home, I was speaking gibberish, asking him if it was Christmas, what year it was, blah, blah, blah. So he was like, yeah, we better take you to the hospital. So that's my first recollection was waking up in the hospital being like, what happened? No <laughs> recollection of that match whatsoever. How old were you at that point? Uh, I think I was, I was either 16 or 17. Wow. Like, that's such a young age to start training for pro wrestling i always thought that it had to be an 18 to 19 year old uh age limit on that so i guess i guess back then it wasn't that way like again i'm i'm so uneducated on that part of it so you know 
You know, it really, it really just depends on what school you go to. There are a lot of schools that say 18 plus, no ifs, ands, or buts. There are some schools that'll say 16, but you have to have adult supervision. The adult has to sign a waiver. Um, you know, back when I was doing it too, wrestling wasn't as like, I mean, the world wasn't as connected as it is now. So you could go and you could do, I could be 15 and sign a waiver and you think you're doing whatever. And, you know, you don't really know what's going on. And that's kind of like what I did. Um, but I made a deal with my parents. My parents had to drive me back and forth to New Bedford, which was like 45 minutes from where I lived. Um, and cause I didn't have a car and I didn't drive. I was still getting my learner's permit, trying to get my license. So my parents drove me, God bless them. They're, they are the greatest parents in the world. Um, but I had a deal with them. They said, we're going to drive you to training. We're going to support this, but you need to promise us you'll further your education while you pursue this. And I let, I said, sure. I held my end of the bargain. They held theirs. I went and I got my associate's degree in criminal justice. And they said, you lived up to your end of the bargain. Thank you. So I, I owe so much to my parents. They, they did so much for me. How is having a guy like yourself and you know, when you came back, RVD was here and Tommy Dreamer, guys you've had a lot of history with for a long time, going dating back to ECW. Um, how has not only their demeanor changed, but your demeanor changed on the business uh, since that time you guys all worked together? Um, you know, just, you, you know, as you get older and you, you, you have that knowledge, you know, in life, a lot of times you run into a fire or a fight, you know, and, and, you know, now you, you might sit back, you know, and think before you run in, you know, to that fire or fight, you know, so <laughs> this goes with life, you know, you, you're, you, 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 wisdom and, you know, you become a little more wise, not only in life but in uh in you know your profession too and that's wrestling so like we discussed before this is your back and impact you've had a lot of great moments in impact if um if i asked you to pick one or two moments from from your history here in impact that you consider some of your fondest which would uh which would that be uh well i've always enjoyed working with uh guys like abyss cowboy you know, Cowboys back, um, you know, uh, a lot of the experience I've had, you know, in the ring, you know, and then, uh, you know, and it, it's funny, sometimes life is a full circle because, you know, I came back in 2019 and, you know, not too long after that, we would about, uh, I don't even think it was about a year. Um, Eric Young, you know, he comes back and, you know, and it's just, it, it, it seems like a full circle. You know, and then you never know who's going to pop up, you know, Sunday, you know, people that maybe people that have worked with impact before in the past, not saying any hints or anything. <laughs> I mean, and, and that's a great thing, you know, because a lot of times you can, you know, um, a lot of times if you, you, you doors are always open, even though you think they might be shut, they're not. So. You know, it's funny you say that, too, because you said before, you never know who's going to show up. Was it a little weird when you were working with another company and all of a sudden your tag team partner showed up last year and you're, you're like, wait a minute, this is a different company. Don't I know you from somewhere type of mentality? <laughs> well, see, I was all for Heath for Impact and all that stuff. And, you know, he had to have some surgery. And uh, I guess he's going to be back in like three months, but. I haven't spoken to him since Violent by Design. And I guess he's out there. Heath is out there telling everybody to, you know, because I'll get messages on social media. 
you know, call, call Slater, you know? And, uh, it's like, no, I'm not going to call Heath. (laughs) (laughs) He has a choice when he gets healthy, you know, the door is open and, uh, you know, holy waters of change. I mean, is he too far gone? That's, that's a question only Eric Young can answer. So can he be part of the group or is he going to be, you know, is he going to be on the hit list? You know, because oh. I'll go. It's not the first time. So. <laughs> and, and I have a feeling it won't be the last either. Um, I, no. All right, we're back here on the Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast. Randy Zellier here with O'Shea Edwards from Shane Taylor Promotions. I got it right, right? Promotions? Yeah, you got it right. That's okay, right. Cool. That's right. That's so, right. first off, welcome to Ridgefield Park, New Jersey. Appreciate it. I've been, been, been here a number of times. Been a couple yeah. different times. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, so, listen, you guys are here uh, doing for this show tonight. Where are you guys headed next? Uh, well, it's t- tonight. It you know we're here. Uh, then we got the uh, last paper, ring around pay per view tomorrow. Um, we're doing that in Baltimore. Okay. Um, then for me, um, I got to be in Charlotte the day after that. Um, then I got LA the next weekend. So I, I'm ending the year like pretty like pretty strong, which is exactly what I wanted. Um, so you know where we go after after tomorrow night? Well, that's anybody's guess. The the uh, the landscape of professional wrestling has changed immensely. So. Um, it's just one of those things, man. You know, my, my phone constantly rings, and you know, we'll, we'll see where we go from there. But that's the key of the life of a professional wrestler, right? Pretty you much. Want to make sure your phone, if your phone's not ringing, there's a problem. There's, there's a problem. There's a problem. Uh, not to go too deep in the Ring of Honor situation, but you've been there for a little bit. You, what does this mean to you, knowing that they're going to go on hiatus? Is there fear with it? Is there? Is it nervous? Is it for a possibility to have opportunity? To, to sort of branch out a little bit more. Well, the thing about you know, thing about change is um, usually when when you're uncomfortable, that's when that's when change happens. Um, that's what this is: opportunity to change. Um, regardless of what Ring of Honor does, that's outside of my control. So I can't really sit there and, and harp on that, or even re- sit there and really wish what could have been. It's 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 not my bag anymore. Um, Ring of Honor is where I wanted to be. Um, I've been here since 2019, um, and within those two two and a half years, like I started all over. I learned from some of the best, and I got to wrestle some of the best. That's stuff I'll take with me forever. They can't take that from me. Um, it sucks the way Ring of Honor is going out, but at the same time, here we are. So for me, it's like, all right, well, let's make sure that we make the best of it. And I know tomorrow night the entire wrestling world will be watching us, and I'm going to take very, very full advantage of that. All right, we're back here, Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast. We are wrestling. We just got done with the main event. And we are with our good friend, Mike Law. How are you, sir? I told him he can only do this interview with me if he does uh, his best Howard Fingal. The, the Fink. The uh, fink. Okay, let me try it. Let me try it. Right. And coming down the aisle. <laughs> that sounds pretty decent. That, that was actually really, really good. Really? Yeah, really? I, I, I like it. No, 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 really, really. Uh, like, right. like, like, I, for, something, for some reason, when the Fink did Stone Cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was always the best. That makes sense. Yeah. So, Mike, you know, you you ate, you were an agent for tonight's show, and yes. you. What did you think overall of the whole entire show? I don't miss being an agent. It is very stressful. Uh, people could see the wrinkles, like circle around my face as I was aging <laughs> every single minute. Because you have to just get the timing down, and then a lot of times, like everything and anything that could have happened and went wrong in the beginning happened. Uh, that's something we got to be accountable for. You should have been in the venue a lot sooner. Um, you know, Friday events are very hard. You know, traffic, holiday yeah. season, all that jazz. Um, but you know what, I man? At the end of the day, I, I love it. I love being a part of the the business any way I can. 
to me, this is something that after I'm done with the in-ring aspect of wrestling, um, I'd love to do it more often, you know. Uh, but I'm happy to be taking a part here at We Are Wrestling in Richfield Park, New Jersey. You know, and it's funny, too. You just saw an excellent main event, but not only just the main wow. event, but you had some great matches all the way up and down the card. Yeah. How much of it, how difficult is it to sort of make it a little bit of everything for everybody? Because variety is such a hard thing now in wrestling. That's where, even in general, I think we need to kind of, like, when you talk about the 80s, when you talk about ECW, we talk about the Attitude Area, we talk about NWA, every one of those organizations had different individuals. From the, from the Magnum TAs to the Ric Flairs, to you know Hogan and Macho Man and Dino Bravo, there were so many, there was so so many different type of characters and personas, and that's what I want to bring. That's what I love to see. You know what I mean? Not every match has to be the same. The main event was in fact that the main event. I mean that, yeah. like, listen, I've been in this industry for almost 20 years, and I was like a fan tonight watching that main event, watching two grown ass super heavyweights, two legitimate heavyweights, two legitimate hosses like kill each other and I was in the back watching and I'm telling you I, I was a fan again uh, and every one of them Masha uh, Slava versus Mercedes Martinez Darius Carter versus Keith was excellent excellent match is, is Darius Carter the most charismatic heel you've seen in a long time he I, I think the thing with him it's more of a presence he has such a great presence like he comes out and he commands the crowd, and that's something you can't teach anybody. You either have it or you don't. You know what I mean? Or you could progressively gain it as you go along. But he he could control the crowd so well, and so many people need to study guys like him, Dan Moth, O'Shea Edwards. You know, um, it, it, the, the list goes on. Uh, you know, even like a Mercedes Martinez. Mercedes going in there and showing why she is a superstar, and that, it's not just. It's not a WWE thing. It's not an NXT thing. It's not. Yeah. It's, she's a legitimate superstar. Her presence, the way she carries herself, a true professional. I mean, like that was my first time being in a locker room with Mercedes, and just such a an honor. She's such a talent, and I I think to me like any company that's lucky enough to have her is truly a lot better. Right, you're on the Cup Pro Wrestling Podcast right now with the one and only Mike Law. Hopefully. Colossal Mike Law. I was agent Mike Law tonight, not were, Colossal. Though. So are you like Matt Hardy now? You have different gimmicks. You have like Big Money Matt. You have, no, 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 no. no, no. So, so now it's you're either agent. I'm an agent or I'm Colossal. <laughs> okay. Or I'm a coach too. I'm agent. I don't know. <laughs> so, there's different, different things. Mike Law will hopefully join us again on the Cup Pro Wrestling Podcast. Yes. Mike, thanks for giving us a minute hey, or two. Man, thank you so much. And thanks for coming out. Thank appreciate you, it. man. I appreciate you guys. And thank you for watching. <laughs> here on the Gut Pro Wrestling Podcast, I'm here with the hashtag All Father. Apparently, he's the king of New Jersey, king of New York, and now the king of Texas, Mister Darius Carter. The king of all things. The king of all things. Oh yes, the king of everything. The king of the independent scene. It's about getting respect. It's about getting appreciated. And it's about being known. So I deserve do, it. Do you feel that you got your respect tonight? I should have gotten my respect. You know, I think that people need to understand that when it comes down to the ring work, when it comes down to the essence, when it comes down to the charisma, when it comes down to every possible box that you can check, I check them off. 
So it's time that I get that respect. It's time that you start coming to Darius Carter. It's time that you start showing me the appreciation that I deserve. And I'm not talking about cheers and boos. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about making sure that I'm seen around the world. I'm talking about those promoters that are afraid to take the chance on Darius Carter. I'm talking about those wrestlers that are afraid to step into the ring with Darius Carter. It's time that I am put in that upper echelon of talent on the scene because I am there. I go out there, I deliver every single time. You ask me to do an interview, here I am doing an interview. Whatever you need Darius Carter to do, I do it in spades, and I look great doing it. Look at that, baby. Come on, come on. Oh. Oh, oh, whisk them away, whisk them away in the chariot of excellence. And it just doesn't stop tonight, correct? You're, you're back at it tomorrow? Oh, I'm back at it tomorrow, yeah, because I'm actually back in this building, Pro Wrestling Magic. Um, they're going to be having their biggest show of the year, which is uh, Kingdom Come 6. So I'll be doing that. Uh, I'm competing for something called Keys to the Kingdom, which is like their version of Money in the Bank. You win it, you can cash in on a championship opportunity whenever you want. So uh, I'll be doing that tomorrow. So it's what I'm looking forward and to. You expect, you expect victory? Oh, I don't expect victory. I know victory is going to come. Okay. Expecting it means I'm waiting on it to happen. I'm not waiting on anything. Victory may as well be my middle name. It might as well be on my my birth certificate. All I do is win, comma, no matter what, exclamation point. And that's just the way that it is. It's just the way that it is. That's why you don't like me. Because I say I'm going to do something, I say I'm going to be successful, and then I am successful. I say, I think your mother might like me. I think she might. Just saying. The mothers love me. The mothers love Carter. Just saying. So it is what it is. Uh, you have a unbelievable track record in this building. Is there something about this building that just brings out the best in you? Uh, well, you know what? Honestly, I like that, um, that mirror up top. Because when you're on your back or when you're on the mat and you see yourself, it's like an added incentive to pick yourself back up. So I don't, the fans, oh, some people need the fans to get up. Oh, cheer, oh, help me. I don't need their help. I'll never need their help. But when I look at myself and I'm on the back, I'm on my back, and I need to get up off that mat, my biggest motivation is my own reflection. So that's something that I appreciate about this venue. Uh, it's, it's a little bit tighter, so the sound all travels uh, it kind of travels to one place here. Listen, you can put me anywhere. I don't need a ring. You can put me anywhere. Darius Carter is going to be successful. I wrestled in a, in a, at the Pollyann Mansion for MV Young, okay, and suplexed Pinky Sanchez into, a, into a, a fire pit, okay? That's what I do. You can take Darius Carter anywhere, and I'm a marketable success. Grade A, A1. That's what I do, and that's who I am. So... Now that you are the king of Texas, can I ask what your favorite part of Texas is? Uh, I don't have to like Texas to be the king of it. Oh, okay. you, think you, have to be, you think you have to like a place to rule over it? Okay. I, I, listen, listen, king of New York, king of Texas because I beat the underground king. I stomped him back underground where he belongs with the maggots, with the urchins, with the rodents, with the pests. That's where Brian Keith belongs. Listen, Brian Keith is an excellent talent. He is the new Texas Pro Champion, but that champion is being sent back home a loser because that's what Darius Carter does. This is my territory. If you wanna be a top person, you must encounter me. You must run against me. And we know how that happens. Brian Keith is going home. That's gonna be a long flight home, thinking about all the things he should have done and could have done. But baby, there's nothing you could have done. You ran into a brick wall, and that's all that there is to it. So good job to you, but you're not good enough. And that's the fact. That's the truth.
This is the Cup Pro Wrestling Podcast live in Richfield Park, and we are with We Are Wrestling with a very humble oh, Darius Carter. I could have said so much more. I thought that was very, very low-key, so you're welcome for that. And uh, for anybody that's looking out for me, this is where I plug myself, okay? You can find me on Facebook, on Instagram, Twitter, slash Mr. Darius Carter. People are going to be talking about this momentous victory. People are going to be talking about how I hit the Royal Sweep on Brian, Brian Keith in the middle of the ring, defeated the new Texas Pro Champion, became the King of Texas, the King of the Territories, the King of the Independent Scene, the one, the only, the most dangerous man on earth, Mr. Darius Carter. You are welcome. Oh, so good. Come on. You can cut there. And it's so funny, Randy. Randy, I'm assuming you're a sports fan. Yes. So I'm going to I'm going to lay out this analogy to you that is very simple. I'm going back now and I'm breaking down all the Attitude Era shows hour by hour. That's what I'm doing now on my uh, russosbrand.com and I am purposely looking at the length of matches. Bro, we're talking three and a half minutes, 4 minutes, 245, 315 Bro, the matches were under five minutes. You fast forward, bro, to 2021. You you have 15, 20-minute match after 15, 20-minute match. And obviously, the ratings and the audience has gone way down. So what, 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 I, what I relate that to is, you know, bro, the Braves just won the World Series. Right. When 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 Snitger gets ready for 2022, what is he going to do? He's going to look at what the Braves did in 2021. We were very successful in 2021. We were world champions. We need to continue along that path. Bro, they've got a blueprint. They saw they see through the attitude era it was short matches because if you have long matches on your show, the only people that are going to watch are hardcore wrestling fans. The blueprint is there, but rather than follow the blueprint, they have gone to the extreme. And then you wonder why wrestling has gone from 10 million people to one and a half million. Bro, it's no surprise. It, it's right in front of their eyes in black and white. Well, you were booking WWE and even WCW uh, to a point back in the, I guess, the Attitude Era, Monday Night War era. Do you think for from Vince's perspective, you know Vince a lot better than I did. I've met Vince McMahon one time. When they had the restaurant and I met him outside, just said hello. That was my extent of ever talking with him, ever. But you know him 10 million times better than all of us. Do you think after you left back in October of 1999, the reason why he has put a long, big staff of writers is concerned is because he didn't want to put the trust into just one or two people who might yes. get up and leave. And 1,000%. I, I, yes. 1,000% okay. correct. Yes. And do you think because he did that, he's not only trying to protect himself, but by doing that, he's bringing comedy writers in, he's bringing movie writers in, he's not bringing in people who are tapped into the product. Do you think that obviously that hurts the product by trying to get these guys who are wrestlers, because I've I've listened to John Moxley and Chris Jericho and some of these other guys come out and say 
they took away the fun of being a professional wrestler. Yeah. Yeah. Bro, you, you, you are dead on bro. Back in the attitude era, there were two writers. It, it was me and Ed Ferrara period. End of story. There was nobody else involved. Ed and I would get together and we would write the show from start to finish. And then we would present it to Vince and we would walk Vince through it. When we left um, again, for the reasons that you just stated, what he did, bro, was he had a structure that worked and was very simple. But now what he has done is he's created layers upon layers upon layers upon layers, layers, writing teams. This one reports to that one who reports to this one who eventually gets the Vince down the line. He has created a structure that does not work. The structure is broken. The system is broken. It does not work. And he's not doing anything to try to change that. You were recently were in WWE as far as an A-ring comp- uh, competitor up until 2016. You guys decided not to um, – you guys decided to sort of step away from the spotlight and go behind the scenes. What did it mean to you to have that last run with the company? You were there in the company at, the, at its hottest – Time in the early two, you know, early two thousands, late nineties, and you know, you just left your stamp on professional wrestling around that point, and then of course having a great year in in TNA. But I'm talking about just in general as the business was on such a high with the Attitude Era. What was that like in and out, uh, night 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 and night out, being around uh, sellout houses every single night? What was that like? It was phenomenal. We were like we were like gods. I mean, everywhere we went. We had to be escorted into whether it was a mall, <clears throat> excuse me, whether it was a restaurant. It was unheard of. I always said, I don't, I couldn't fathom what Michael Jackson or Madonna felt like in terms of their stardom. But I think I could say we had maybe 3% of that <laughs> during the attitude. <laughs> and uh, that was amazing. So I can only imagine what those guys went through. So, I mean, what we went through was rough. I mean, you know, again, you're out with your family. You want to be left alone. People come up and ask for autographs. I get it. The starstruck and all of that. But sometimes you just don't want to talk wrestling. And sometimes you just want to be by yourself and not have to worry about once you leave the road, you want to leave that on the road. But that's the that's the life we chose in terms of being in the spotlight. And, you know, you give up that. It's not fun, but you give it up and you know that you give it up. Some people handle it great. Some people don't, you know, Um, but just for the record, I never wanted to stop wrestling. You know, this was, it wasn't my idea to be a producer uh, backstage for WWE. I enjoy it now, Uh, but it took me some years to actually embrace it and to, to like it. Um, Bubba decided during that 2016 uh, last run that the Dudley boys were not being treated fair and in terms of uh, the positions that we were. And I get it to a certain degree, but you have to understand the attitude error was gone. They were, and I even said that to him. I said, it's gone. It's not coming back. So I'm not coming back to WWE to relive the attitude error. In my opinion, in my opinion only, in terms of between the both of us, I didn't feel that way like he felt. I didn't feel like they were 
messing up the legacy that we chose. A title doesn't mean anything at this point in stage of the game when you've won 24 already. <laughs> I mean, good God. So to have another title, you know, that says you're the tag team champion, at that point didn't really mean anything. What meant to me coming back to WWE was helping the younger talent out, being able to pass that torch, and to be able to go back to a place that I felt back in 2005 that we didn't leave the right way. Um, there was still some stuff left on the uh, table that I felt that we had to come back to WWE in order for me to finish out my career the way I wanted to. But, you know, there was a contract given to us after the first, the second run, and Bubba didn't want to sign it. He wanted to do the Bully Ray character, and Vince said no. He didn't want that. He wanted the Dudleys. He didn't want us to break up. He didn't want us that. Regardless to what we did in 2002 when we broke up, it still laid fresh in their minds that we were better as a tag team. Sure, I wanted to be, you know, in 2002 with the Reverend Devon gimmick, I felt that I got the raw end of the deal because the gimmick was going great. The people were liking it. I mean, hell, Triple H laid down in the middle of the ring for me. He didn't have to do that. He was, he was at the top of his game. But yeah. he laid down because he believed in the character. The character was getting over. I was doing vignettes with Vince in the back that he was even loving, you know, I might have stumbled along the way, but not enough to kill the character completely. You know, I mean, I went up against Randy Orton, John Cena, Rikishi, I mean, Val Venus, I mean, all the top stars back then, and Reverend Devon went over on all of them, including Triple H and Batista. So apparently I was doing something right. So my point to this is that although the WWE might have thought that we couldn't do it as a singles, I beg to differ, and I felt that we could have, but they didn't see it that way. So guess what? It's his sandbox. You have to play in his sandbox to go home. Well, Bubba chose to go home. So, again, I knew coming back we weren't going to be the top of the food chain, although the respect that we got from the locker room was tremendous. Um, but, again, at the same token, I knew my role in coming back was to help the younger talent to help get them over. And in order for that to happen, we got to lay down. We got to do things probably we don't want to do. But again, that's Vince's philosophy. That's Vince's sandbox. And you got to play the rule by his rules, regardless of how many people think he's out of touch or out of tune or what have you. It's his playground. You do what that man says. It's as simple as that. He writes the paychecks. At the end of the day, I don't go on Twitter and I don't go on Instagram to see what people are writing about the Dudley boys and go, oh my God, they're treating us bad. I need to voice my opinion. No, I'm not gonna do that because again, as working as a producer backstage for the company, there are a lot of things that people don't see what, what, what's going on. So they assume when they do see it on TV that it's like, oh, that's garbage. You know, No, there's things behind what, why, what we do. In other words, I'll give you a prime example. In TNA, Bubba, who was Bully Ray at the time, was supposed to wrestle James Storm. They had a great buildup, a great storyline. James Storm, it was supposed to be leading up to a pay-per-view. I forgot which one it was. It could have been Sacrifice or what have you. James Storm got hurt 
and was actually in the hospital, um, I think three or four days prior to the pay-per-view event. Now, remind you, this was a big build-up. They did a great job in building that storyline up, but he couldn't wrestle. So I think James Storm beat Bubba in like 10 seconds. But again, he couldn't wrestle. And that was what we had to do in order to give them something. We didn't want to come on and say, oh, you know, due to James Storm's injuries prior to the match, we're not going to have this match. We They still went on with it, and they still did it. These are some of the things that the fans don't see. Right. And the fans shit all over the match when they saw it. It was like, this big buildup for this, oh, this is garbage. This is why TNA is not going anywhere. But yet they don't know what happens behind the scenes. There are certain things that are done for a reason, and that was to try to cover up the fact that James Storm was hurt. And he couldn't have a full match with Bubba. Um, but again, these are certain things that I feel that people don't understand and realize. So I never wanted to stop. I even went to them and said, hey, listen, I'm not ready to become a producer. There's still a lot left in me. And they said, well, you know the old man. You know how he is. You know, he wanted the Dudleys and Bubba didn't play fair. So, you know, we're going to give you this opportunity to be, you know, to stay with the company. So I looked at, and it was it was Triple H, and he, I said, um, do I have a choice? He said, no, not really. So <laughs> at that point, I was going through a divorce, and I would have loved to have gone back to Japan and finished my career, but going, to, going through a divorce at the time and having to travel 17, 18 hours on a plane to Japan every week was not what I wanted to do. So I had to weigh my options and say, okay, well, here we go. This is, I guess I'll stay here and become a producer. And like I told you, I hated it at first. I didn't like it. Now I've grown into it and working with guys like the Usos, the New Day, you know, uh, even Ray and Dominic, um, you know, the the Viking Raiders, uh, the Bludgeons when, when um, Harper, you know, God rest his soul, uh, was in WWE with Eric. I had great... Um, matches with those guys in the ring with them as well as producing their matches and uh cesaro and um sheamus you know i had great great time and even working with apollo as singles i just um i felt that i was wrong again <laughs> and not getting the opportunity to wrestle continuously but you know it is what it is and i made a great as a producer so, you know, when people ask me what happened with the Dudleys, well, Bubba didn't want to play fair. So, and I know Bubba will have his own opinion about what happened. But again, that's the majority of it. They gave us both the contract. I signed it. He didn't want to sign it. And it, it left a bad taste in their mouth. And by the time he was ready to sign it, it some time had already went by. I, let me give you a timeline. When Shane McMahon came back in Detroit, um, when he, he had been gone for several years and he came back in Detroit, that was when I signed the deal. The deal actually came, and that was sometime in March. So the deal actually came to us um, in February of that year. Now they've been trying to get us to sign it and Bubba wouldn't sign it. So now all of a sudden we go forward and now I've signed it and he hasn't because there's still things that he felt that he had to take care of on his side. By the time he got through that, the company was just like, nah, 
we don't want it anymore. We're not dealing with the, the headaches. And they decided not to do it. That's when they said they were So it wasn't like the WWE did a bad thing by us. Let me put it to you this way. They gave us a contract that was great. And at 44 and 45 years of age, I even told Bubba, I said, we need to take the money and just go. We're not going to get an opportunity like this again. We just need to sign this contract, do, an do another year. If you don't want to do another year after that, then don't do it. I'll go on my own. But, you know, I couldn't make him sign it. But by doing that, he took money off the table for not only for himself, but for you as well. And this is what... Yeah, he doesn't see it that way, but that's okay. I mean, you know, I have no animosity against him. Um, I wish him nothing but the best. We do not do business anymore, and uh, there's no hard feelings. I don't have any animosity towards him. It's just that he's doing his thing, and I'm doing my thing. And that's the way I like it, you know. I want to be my own entity. I want to be my own person. I want to be, you know, people call me for autograph signings or what have you. I want to be able to do it on my own. I don't want anybody to mess it up for me or do anything. I want to do it on my own. And that's what I'm doing now. Okay, guys, this has been the best of 2021 here on the Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast. Thank you very much for making us a part of your week every week. And uh, we have, we've had some great episodes this past year, and we have a great roster of wrestlers getting ready for 2022. So thank you so much as we made the transition and made some tinkers to the show. Follow us on all of our social media platforms and podcast platforms, of course, on YouTube and FXSportsPage.com. Especially Andrew Fumi and the rest of our great staff here at the Cup of Wrestling Podcast. Again, I can't say it enough. Thank you for your support, and we hope to knock it out of the park in 2022 for all of you. Until next time, I'm Randy Zellier from Back Sports Page, and this has been the Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast.